Now, Curtis Granson went three for four today to up his on-base percentage to 372 with a 443 slugging. I feel like I would want that guy in my lineup. I think there's a case to be made that he's the biggest piece. I mean, I mean it's either him or Machado, depending on what we think of position players, on this market, period. Have Monty Python attempting to throw the holy hand grenade as, as an impression <laughs> of what John managed to do. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 105. Come for the anxiety, stay for the baseless, despairing speculation. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined once again by Joshua Housem. Josh, welcome back. Good to be back. Did you take a week off from the team while you were on vacation? I did, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I can take a week off from the team even not being on vacation. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, but the starting rotation is a good starting rotation. So if you wanted to watch the first six or seven innings, we can talk about that. Um, Randall Grichuk has returned with a vengeance and Teoscar Hernandez has moved to left field. We could talk about that. Um, and then there is the whole issue of, of these other guys who uh, are on the team who need at bats, but I don't know where, where they go exactly. Uh, a friendly reminder that as much as I love Yang Hervis Solarte and uh, Aled Mestias, they are not Josh Donaldson and Troy Tulowitzki, and we have questions about those guys. Uh, Marcus Stroman. Would he be back soon? Would we want him back? Who knows? Uh, the Blue Jays have a problem. It's it's surrounding five runs, and they also have a problem because the only team they can beat is the Baltimore Orioles. I have a do-over and a gold star for John Axford, which doesn't make any sense until I explain it later. And we have a listener who would like to stump you, Josh, and he has shown up in my mentions and giving me a really obscure trivia question. So... He, he got oh, me in a soft spot. He got <laughs> he got me in a soft spot because it was one of my favorite players of all time as part of the, the trivia question. So um, that's not a hint, even. <laughs> Let's just start with the starting rotation. Um, yeah, the Jays, what was there supposed to be their strength in the, in the spring training in the preseason, uh, Josh? What was the number one thing we were happy about with this team? Starting rotation. <laughs> yep. And now they're back. They are back. Um, you know, it's uh, going back to the uh, last game of the Tiger series. They have made now, I believe that's 10 games since the end of that Tiger series. And eight of them have been not necessarily quality starts by the measure because a couple of them were five innings, but very good starts. Yeah. And that even includes a start of what Sam Gavilio versus the Yankees. Yeah, he he shut them down and he struggled against Tampa because naturally. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, so and Garcia Garcia and Gavilla each had one not so good start. And then the rest of them, the other eight starts have been fantastic. Jay Happ didn't give up a run in either of them. Yeah, an ERA of zero. Uh well actually even a run average of zero. <laughs> That's can't beat that. Uh, well, actually I guess he gave up one unearned run. I apologize. But no unearned run in either of those two games. Uh, I well, you, I, you can only marginally beat that by never letting them hit the ball, I guess. Uh, Jay Happ is doing wonderful things to boost his trade value. I'll give him that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into that a bit more later. But I mean, this is kind of what we were sort of hoping for this team, right? That they would, this pitching would 
turn around and it has and it was unfortunately it's the only thing that has which again we'll continue with but i want to also touch on estrada specifically because i think it might have been the last time i was on the podcast because obviously i wasn't here last week we talked about how his ball wasn't rising as much mm-hmm. and then he had a good start while you were away and i felt bad discussing him while you were away and then he had another good start he had Dang. two of them so we can and, talk about him again <laughs> and guess what his ball's, the ball's rising again. Both starts, his fastball averaged over 13 inches of fighting gravity, which is back to the, you know, the levels from since he joined the Blue Jays, 2015 to to last year, and that's a huge difference for him. And, and what do you know? He was great twice in a row. It works. Is it? So I mean, ultimately, I guess we're never going to get a 100 percent answer, but it does seem like it might be a feel thing for him in terms of. Um, you know, just how the ball is coming out of his hand. And if he, if he gets it right and he can get, get locked in, we have a, you know, a very good quality, you know, middle of the rotation guy in Marco Estrada. You do worry mm-hmm. though, because the last couple of years, for various reasons, it hasn't been locked in. And those haven't been like, oh, one start not locked in. It's been three or four in a row. And you kind of start to think, oh, is he going to get it back? And it looks like, I think you after one more start of even even decent performance, as long as that you know that fastball keeps doing what you're talking about, maybe he he has got it back and he's he's you know he's on a good run again. Yeah. So we'll see. It's interesting uh, to note, and we'll get back to Marcus Stroman, like I said later. But that this run of of quality starts has been done with uh, without Marcus Stroman in the rotation, who who we thought was going to be an anchor for this team as well. So it's still not how we drew it up in spring training. Nope. <laughs> San Gavilio being in the rotation. I mean, he wasn't even on the team at the beginning of spring training. <laughs> you take what you can get sometimes. Um, so the other developments that we have uh, on the lineup side, uh, we have uh, Randall Gritchuk returning from the disabled list. And at one point I heard uh, Wilner today say that he was nine for his last 20, which is fantastic. And then the sort of domino effect has pushed Teoscar Hernandez, who's very tough to put on the bench, over to left field. And defensively, he's certainly, I mean, on the radio, they tell us he's doing way, way better. I would certainly say he's done a a lot less damage, and he seemed to be able to uh, uncork some pretty accurate throws from that corner. Yeah, when he actually throws the ball as opposed to lobbing it in, which we talked about on one of the previous podcasts, He's got a pretty decent arm, and we've seen evidence of it a few times. It's just the occasional, I don't know what to call it, brain cramp? I don't know, but it, whatever it is, it's a—it's uh, it's it's better at least, I guess, in left field. What, what <laughs> do they used to say on the Bugsy, Bugs Bunny cartoons, the lackadaisical attitude? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was like a, an effort thing, though. I think it was just every now and then it would just disappear like he wouldn't know what what exactly he was supposed to be doing but you know i think comfort level plays in there too right being able to i mean the more you play in the bigs the easier it becomes yeah i think maybe knowing the throws are going to be shorter or knowing that you've got the play sort of the the runner's always running towards you in left field right so Mm -hmm. maybe when you bring your head up and you're looking at the play you know that's approaching you maybe for some guys that just is a confidence factor of okay i can see where he really is and i know how long i have to get him now because I've, I've got a different perspective on it because i imagine 
you know, watching a runner run away from you at second. That guy literally looks like he's running away from you when you're trying to make that throw to third base. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, and this is like you mentioned at the top top of this little segment, this is the cascading effect of having Grichuk return because Grichuk is an excellent defender in right field. And we've seen evidence of that multiple times since he returned a bunch of highlight plays and sliding catches, not ones where he's falling and injuring himself. <laughs> and, and so, and, and since his return, he's hitting 333 with a 368 on base and a 667 slugging. This is entering today. It doesn't include today's 0 for 3. But, you know, if he's hitting at all, which that obviously is very, very good hitting, then he's a must start every day just because of what he brings on both sides of the ball. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who, uh, if, if you're looking at someone who you need a, a day in center and your options are who all the Blue Jays have, if you want to give Pilar a day off, I don't hesitate to put Randall Gritchick in center for a day. He, ha- he knows how to get to the ball. Uh, and, in, you know, he certainly doesn't suffer from the noodle arm that Curtis Granderson has by, by any measure. No, and he's shown in the very recent past, as recently as last year, that he can play center field just fine. Yeah, so I, yeah, it's good to have him where he's not hitting 100. I, I, yeah. <laughs> like, we no, all knew I mean, he wasn't that guy. Yeah, his, his OPS is 200 points higher than when he went on the disabled list. It, it'd just be interesting to see what guy he is, right? He's not this either. He's never going to hit 333 over the course of a season. But as long as he settles in to what we thought we were getting as he came into the year, a guy who's going to hit, I don't know, 250 with a bunch of home runs and a bunch of strikeouts, that's fine as long as he's playing the defense. And the funny part is, like, a 250 average is basically league average now. I know it doesn't seem like it, but that's where averages have gone. Um, so, yeah, an average guy with, with some power, I'll take it in a heartbeat. Uh, you can And who can hit lefties and righties? Yeah. Gets to play and then, of course... Day. The cascading effect you mentioned, right? So it moves yes. to Oscar Hernandez to left. Uh, and now what, you have... That Curtis Granderson guy. Yeah. <laughs> now, Curtis Granderson went three for four today to up his on-base percentage to 372 with a 443 slugging. I feel That's like I would good. want that guy in my lineup. Yeah. And and if you were to ask most Jays fans, like, okay, great. That's an easy decision. Those two guys play. D- Granderson DHs. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Over the last month, there's this other guy in the lineup, Kenrys Morales, who has been hitting pretty much the way the team hoped. I just want this is exact one month of games. I don't know why, like that, rather than picking arbitrary, more arbitrary endpoints like May 19th, he's hitting 303 with a 341 on base and a 461 slugging. It sounds like a, almost an 800 OPS. 802. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's a good problem to have, I guess. It is a good problem to have, and I guess the one we sort of thought they might have when Teoscar Hernandez first came up, and these guys were coming, not everyone was hurt. But, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they manage it, because, you know, like like mentioned, that Morales has been hitting lately. Over his last five, six starts, he's got ten hits. and So they have to get these guys through, and with the way the offense is scuttling, it'll be interesting to see how creative they get. Yeah, well, once we once we run down everything, I think we're going to get to the offensive scuttling issue. Um, <laughs> scuffling, scuttling. Maybe it's just scuttling yeah, away. It makes more uh, sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess part of the problem is, as as I mentioned prior, the left side of the infield 
is also not how we drew it up on paper at the beginning of spring training because when I look over there, I see Yang Harvest Solarte and I see Aledmus Diaz, and uh, these guys are fun. Uh, they can occasionally do some some really really cool things. I mean, Solarte has some pop, um, makes the occasional good play. Uh, Diaz is like we've said several times, legitimate shortstop, uh, can knock one out of the ballpark, and 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 they play the game with a lot of uh, a lot of energy, especially Solarte. But he's not Josh Donaldson. And certainly Diaz is not Troy Tulowitzki. Even the Tulowitzki we had maybe in 2015 when he, you know, 2016. I, yeah. This is a problem. Yeah, it's a big problem. And we might be getting a solution with the Donaldson part of it because he's starting to rehab games and he might be back even as soon as this weekend. But it is not what the way this was drawn up. I mean, Troy Tulowitzki is still not close to coming back which is surprising to me not to you obviously based on the conversations <laughs> we've had he, he's taking ground ball he's taking batting practice but there's still no specific timetable for his return you know let Diaz was supposed to be the backup and Yandere Vizlatia is supposed to be the backup and with them both playing it's just it, it's glaring yeah I mean Troy Tulowitzki belongs on a milk cart at this point yeah although he did make an appearance on the field <laughs> Because they were down in Tampa and they rehab in Dunedin, but it's, you know, it's a problem. And, and you know, Tulowitzki, for all his faults, he's a better defender than Diaz, as, as solid as Diaz has been, and his offensive floor is what Diaz is doing right now. Mm -hmm. um, I and just that's realized, his absolute floor. I just realized in our injury update, we did not include the Vlad Jr. most unfortunate injury update. How do we miss that in our list of things to talk about? Because that's the other guy who showed up in Dunedin. <laughs> yeah he's out for a month at least hopefully yeah, no, a, a month is super cautious yeah no no superstar slugger reinforcement coming in the, in the near future <laughs> not of course, that we given what we just said where would he play uh well yeah i mean i don't think he's ready at shortstop so that is a problem I was referring uh, to what we said about the DH and outfield spots. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. It's the only stop, you've, only spot you've got open is shortstop. Um, yeah, second so, base. <laughs> <laughs> Would he be the biggest second baseman ever to uh, play as a rookie at that location? <laughs> he made Kendris Morales look like a lightweight in the pictures that they took <laughs> on the field. He's a big boy. He is wide and i mean i'm sure all of it is power uh given everything that he can do but yeah what what a specimen of a human being unfortunately he has something wrong was it his knee that he's i think it's a knee it was, tendon? His, it was his leg yeah patella yeah. tendon um most unfortunate i everyone is like oh oh no the world is sucky because vlad is hurt okay i get it but uh of all the times and places that I would like him to be hurt is a time when there's no pressure on him for to, to come back too soon <laughs> uh, because of an injury. Yeah, he's in the minor leagues. <laughs> and, you know, it's not like he was needing to do a whole lot to prove that he could play and or that his development is going to be overly hindered by this. Yeah, it's not. I'd much rather this happen than him already being up in the forty men and or in the major leagues, and then he starts accruing service time while not playing, and it's just while well, the team's losing. Like everything would have been bad if that happened. Like what happened to Anthony Alford last year? 
Yeah, same deal. Like, I mean, you and this is a guy where you look at maybe Dalton Pompey, and we've said it a bunch of times. Well, Dalton Pompey needs to get his reps to show what he can do. I, 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 Vlad Jr. doesn't really need to get his reps for six hundred or five hundred fifty plate appearances to prove anything this year. Uh, maybe no. his reps at third, but not not at the plate. Uh, so yeah, that was a, the whole digression there that I wasn't planning on. But uh, we are sad in the sense that I don't like to see him hurt. Because, hey, one injury can always lead to another. But I'm not so sad because, like you just said, there are a whole lot of other ways that that could have gone south um, had he been somewhere else. Injuries. JD, you said, was coming back. Tulo is a complete mystery. Marcus Stroman had a start tonight as in Dunedin. It did not look fantastic. But, hey, he's on the mound. Yeah, the minor league numbers mean nothing. I, we've talked about this before. I think it might have been in an extra pellets episode about – it was actually when we were talking about the minors and these guys go down and have screwy performances. It's just about getting on the mound and throwing. It'll be interesting what happens when he comes back, which I'm guessing given the way Stroman is and he's going to want to come back after one or two rehab starts. Mm-hmm. Or okay, well, not one, two or three. Who goes out? I think if uh... – Gavilio has one more bad start. That's the easy decision. Uh, if he doesn't, um, the he will, it'll still be him. But it'll be an interesting decision because Jaime Garcia has been the guy who's been the worst of the five. Yes. How many times have the Blue Jays come across this? Okay, well, first of all, these problems tend to have a way of working themselves out. I always say that. Yes. Um, <laughs> given that situation, and not wishing any ill upon any of the five starters. Uh, I have how many times have the Blue Jays had something like this and suddenly decided that a six man rotation would be prudent for like two weeks and then inevitably something works itself out when they try and go to a six man rotation. Has that happened a lot? I don't know. I think it's happened like two times in the last three or four years where they did it for sure when they brought in Liriano. Yep. And then they eventually just said, Dickie, you're not pitching anymore. <laughs> but yeah. I don't think that'll be the case here. My guess, okay, this is just my guess, is that Gavilio will go back into being the long man in the pen, like the role he had before he got shoved into the rotation. Makes sense. And then you move Biagini back to, to the minors to yeah. figure out what the heck Joe Biagini's doing these days. Yeah, which we have a question about, so we'll get to that yeah. in a bit more depth later, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so Strowman still, I mean, there's still a week and a half, right, then to decide what what's up with Strowman, provided everything proceeds with his, uh, his rehab according to plan. Yeah. All right, let's get serious. This team has a problem. And the problem is about five runs. Oh, yeah. If this team scores five runs, what is its record? 25 and one. If this team scores four runs or less, what is its record? Five and 37. (laughs) I feel like the Mariners are not going to have any kind of record that resembles that when you talk about four runs and five runs. Like, this, this bubble, this magic sweet spot of five runs, it really shouldn't be like that with a good starting rotation and anything resembling a decent bullpen. The Mariners are 18 and 19 when they give up four, when they score four or fewer runs. That's the second best record, actually, with that. No one is above 500 in that scenario. The Yankees are at 500. What what is the Blue Jays' actual winning percentage? What does 5 and 37 work out to? Uh, That would be a winning percentage of 156. (laughs) 
Wait, no, sorry, that's wrong. That's I hit that hit that number wrong. That's one nineteen. One nineteen. So they win eleven percent of their games if they don't score five runs. Yeah, the only team that's worse is Cincinnati at one eleven. And I might remind you that Cincinnati is horrible at everything except having Joey Votto on their team. Yeah. That's just it's uncanny, but it's also it, it, I think maybe it's indicative of the fact that the Blue Jays don't have enough what luck ingredients something. I it gives me no faith in this team going forward. I don't really understand it. You so the reason that something like that would come about, and you'd think of it, it would be so. It sort of harkens back to the 2015 Blue Jays, who had the similar kind of problem, where when they didn't score they didn't win because their pitching was bad. But with the starting pitching turning around, they're still losing these games. So I, I don't really know. Yeah, cause, so in, in 2015, the Jays were 15, 16 and 56 when they scored four or fewer runs. But that was still 100 points higher by winning percentage. Do, is there a mental block? Is there a mental block on the part of, I don't know, the pitchers or the hitters when you get to the late innings and you've only scored two or three runs and the other team is threatening? And, you know, does, is, is something psychological where these guys are like, man, this isn't going to be enough. Whereas the Mariners, who happen to be fantastic in one-run games this year, maybe they're thinking, you know what? We, we could just lock this down. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Because there, I obviously there's no written explanation for weirdness like this. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the reasons are for it. Again, you would think this would be related to a pitching staff, but it has the pitching staff has, like I said, has turned it around, and they've. I I, I don't know. It it shouldn't be this bad because this is atrocious. Which is to say, whether it stays this bad going forward might not matter because they have burned probably a dozen opportunities there to win what you would call a very winnable game, right? Like, I mean, if they were, uh, yeah you know 17 and and uh 32 or sorry not 32 17 and 25 or something like that you'd be like well that sucks but that's kind of how it goes but their record would be at 500 they've 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 that water has gone under the bridge yep <laughs> it's bad so here we are in the middle of june ish um i think does this team have to sell or not is the real question. So this once again goes back to the last podcast I was on. My final thought was looking ahead at the schedule and saying, okay, so there could be some chance to pick up some more ground because they had three against the Tigers, four against the Orioles, three against the Rays, all bad teams with two, J two games against the Yankees in the middle of that. In that stretch, including the Yankees games, they went five and seven. So in a time where they had to go you know, pick up some real games, five and five against those bad teams. They probably had to go at least eight and two or seven and three to make up any ground. They didn't. So they've just fallen farther back. And that's really, I think, points to, yeah, they need to start selling because look at the teams they have coming up now. Washington, Atlanta, the Angels, the Astros, and then the Tigers come back at the beginning of the month. So it's not getting any easier. If you wanted to ever make a prop bet on a no-hitter, by the way, I think Max Scherzer's start coming up this week <laughs> would be worth a dollar somewhere if it's, you know, if you're paying at those 1,000 to 1 odds, I would take yeah. that bet. <laughs> I have tickets to that game and I can't go, which is very annoying. 
Uh, well, I mean, chances are, uh, you never know with starting pitching, but chances are if, if they're going to get eviscerated, that would seem to be the, the guy to do it. Yeah. But, and, you know, Ross Atkins was on, I can't remember who he was speaking to recently, but he said that the trade market is starting to take shape a lot earlier this year than it has in the in the past two years of his role as the general manager, which implies that people are starting to make offers on, on guy, their guys. And I think this three-game sweep at the hands of the Rays that we just witnessed might be the thing that pushes them towards finally actually listening to those offers. I can see it because you also now got a, a, a very good idea of what J-Hap is, which is probably the biggest piece you're going to be able to move, right? I think there's a case to be made that he's the biggest piece. I mean, I mean see the Himmer Machado, depending on what you think of position players, on this market, period. Well, yeah, because you, you could make the argument that J-Hap is a number two slash three starter without too much difficulty. And he has been consistently for the last two or three years. And from my understanding, you look around and nobody else like that is even out there. Yeah, since basically the trade deadline in 2015 when he went to the Pirates. So the last three full seasons, he has been a number two starter or better. Two, three, like you said. And you know, that's something that every team, especially the Yankees, can use when it comes down to the playoff time. I mean, relievers and starters, there's no team in baseball that doesn't want one, which yeah. makes a big market. Whereas third baseman, which is what Donaldson is and Manny Machado is, well, he's also a shortstop, but you know, the, the teams that are the winning teams usually don't have a huge need of those spots. Yeah, they may already have a position of strength there and you're not you're not trading for a rental to shove some guy over to another position or to try and put him where he doesn't belong. So I totally understand what you're saying. Um, so yeah, Jay Happ is a big piece. If Marco Estrada, again, he's got a couple more turns to prove that he's still Marco Estrada, um, you know, magician, um, then he is also a quality piece, not as much as Happ. I don't know who the Jays can move in this bullpen other than if Roberto Osuna is, is off of his, um, suspension, maybe, maybe the Blue Jays don't want anything to do with him. Well, I, I don't think they would trade him in that spot. They'd probably just, just keep him on suspension and restricted list and deal with that again in the offseason because you're going to get five cents on the dollar, right? Yep. So, and then, then they could get pieces for, you know, like minor prospects or reliever prospects or something for, you know, O and Axford and maybe not Clippard. I don't know about that. But then you got other pieces that could be dealt like Justin Smoke, who well, who's under contract for next year. So his value would go up. Yeah, there are pieces they can move to actually really accelerate getting stronger again for 2019-2020. And it'll be really interesting to see how they do that because this is really going to define the next generation of this team. Yeah, but definitely the 2019 team is not going to be able to look anything. I can't see it, that them worrying about quote-unquote the core anymore because... Uh, clearly, those ingredients have not been able to come together into a successful recipe, whether because they're on the disabled list or because they just can't put together a string of wins. But that's where we're at. Yep. Um, and yeah, and unlike last year where it was like, well, we can maybe make one more kick at the can, I think it's everything points to some of those young kids in the minors really pushing guys like Alfred and, and Vlad and, and uh, you know some of the new names that we're starting to hear come up really pushing at the door to be part of the next core which is good because you don't Indeed. want the oldest team in Major League Baseball <laughs> it's usually not a good thing 
Um, that, I think, sums up our first segment. So we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back with your questions after this. And uh, I got to be honest, you folks did not seem perhaps as engaged as on some other weeks. Even with, even with that home home sweep, I think that got washed away by that other sweep in Tampa Bay. But your questions, we will still answer them. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules: first I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right, so our friends at Bird's Eye View Baltimore, uh, this isn't a question, but it's probably worth noting. When you tweeted out, uh, you said, and while the Jays just got swept, it was technically a winning week. And their response was, thanks, Orioles. Um, (laughs) So I do remember uh, being on that end of things back when the Blue Jays were really bad in like 2013 and and even 2012. Uh, My answer to most things was, the Blue Jays are here to help, especially when someone was in a slump and faced a Blue Jays pitcher and suddenly had a four for four night. We were we were there to help a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, that's definitely the Orioles this year. The Orioles are nineteen and forty eight. It was a good year, nineteen forty eight. The last time uh, they said the last time Chris Davis had an extra base hit, or since the last time Chris Davis had an extra base hit, someone went on and they did all of the things that have happened and. Uh, uh, Mike Trout has seven home runs. Um, Jose Altuve has like 27 hits. Uh, <laughs> it was just brutal. It was like, wow. Uh, and Chris Davis isn't maybe even the biggest problem on the Orioles right now. I think that's probably their pitching. Uh, yes, the Orioles pitching is terrible. That four-year contract for Alex Cobb is looking great. <laughs> Good Lord. All right. Uh, let's talk about Colleen, who has... She stays with this team through thick and thin. I admire that. And she stays with us as well. So her question this week, probably for you, Josh. Do you think Biagini is fixable as a relief pitcher? And why are they keeping him with the Major League team? I am perplexed why Meza was optioned and not Joe last week. So the second question first, I think it was just mostly about his ability to go multiple innings, which means that isn't that guy. And they don't really have that guy on the roster. And just with some of the stuff that had been going through with their rotation and, you know, even some of the good starts were a little shorter. They wanted someone who could bridge them to the end. So they don't kill. Oh, Clippard, Axford, Tapera, because they've been throwing a ton of innings. So I think that's the reason there. As for the first part, is he fixable? I think, the answer to that is yes, but I think he needs to start. He needs to go back to the minors to really work on some stuff because his velocity has been up and down, even in the bullpen. It has been higher since going since when he was a starter. But I think he needs to go down there away from the pressure because he's given up runs in all but two of his outings in the bullpen. And that's just it's not doing him any favors in the big leagues. I think Joe has gotten, uh, you know, if any guy might get in his own head, I think Joe Biagini comes across as one. I think he just needs to just let it fly, right? And I, he might be afraid to do that at this point because he's given up a lot of home runs in the bigs and, and on a couple of meatballs too. 
Yeah. And he's sort of been like messing with four seams and sinkers and changing his repertoire around like back and forth from one out into the next. And that's not a really easy way to succeed, which John Oxford will tell you. And he has told me specifically, it's a lot easier when you just trust what you've got and stick with it and, and know that this is your best stuff to get people out. And he hasn't been doing that. He's just still tinkering. And that's just, again, you can't do that at the big league level very easily. So our next question is from Blue Jay Way at Blue Jay Way one. Uh, is Tudo still alive? <laughs> well, we talked about this in the opening segment, but go ahead, Greg. Uh, signs point to yes. <laughs> is he still Reply a face? Easy. Check hmm? back later. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure what to say to that. I mean, is he a baseball player? That's <laughs> less certain than he's alive. <laughs> Up for debate. Um, at this point, maybe Taz can play for him. Is that his little kid's name? Who's like, it is, yes. Yeah. Maybe Taz could come and take a few reps and do something. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate, but that's the way it goes sometimes. So, uh, I have... A, a do-over and a gold star all rolled up into one for you. So John Axford made a throw home. What? Was it home? Really? It was in the general <laughs> vicinity of home. This looked like, like 50 cents first pitch. <laughs> um, so John Axford, he had a ball hit right back to, or was it wild pitch or was it? It was just a wild pitch, was wasn't it, it? No, it was a comebacker. It was a comebacker. Uh, he, like, he picked it up and dropped it twice in a row. Yeah, and then when he finally came up with it, he 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 he, got, he did an overhand throw, but he gator armed it, and it went. He airmailed it past Luke Maley, couldn't handle that, uh, and two runs scored on that play. A, a ball that went what thirty feet. Yeah, it should have been a, a force out or a double play. Instead, it was not. Yeah, so we're gonna give you the do over there. Um, you get another opportunity to try and make the throw because holy moly <laughs> that was pitiful uh however however john axford's good canadian boy that he is i think he managed to redeem himself uh, because he came up and then on twitter he said uh, i have the tweet and then of course has I anybody made a gif of that horrible throw i made last <laughs> night yet <laughs> so um he he knew it uh, you, you know what? I haven't played either the Gold Star theme or the Do Over theme. Should I play them over top of one another? Now, that probably wouldn't do too well. <laughs> I think we just give the Gold Star. We... Okay, gonna be nice. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a Gold Star. You enjoy that? You've earned it. Yes. So he he owned it. He did the. He even has a face palm emoji. Yeah. And then the road guy, one of the Blue Jays Twitter guys, was one of the first replies, and he said, yes. And he put uh, someone's first pitch. I can't remember whose it was. And it's airmailed. John Axford, the closest yet, was his response. Uh, there's Carly Rae Jepsen. He objects because she spikes it, though it is in Tampa. So they're in the right place. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of – we even have Monty Python attempting to throw the holy hand grenade as, as an impression <laughs> of what John managed to do. <laughs> so I guess I, I guess I, f I would feel better if more players owned the stupid plays. Like, I know you're professional, 
I get it. But that's not a play that you're really used to making as a pitcher uh, because you're worried. I think in that instant, you've already juggled it three times and you're thinking, man, if I throw it too hard, I'm just going to I'm going to ping it off his chest protector. So you try and try and ease up a little bit and then all your mechanics go out of whack. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it's just baseball stuff but uh, the, having the good humor about it that just makes things a lot more fun and probably makes them a lot easier to overcome on his side too from the mental aspect it's like you know when he's engaging with the fans about it it's not people like oh my god you suck you know right yeah, there was one guy in the replies and i called him out who basically told axford you know you need to do some things to get hitters out <laughs> Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Didn't you just well actually a guy who's been in the bigs for 10 years about how to get hitters out? Is, was that necessary? Did that help anybody? Um, so I liked all the people who, who just had fun with it. So it's still possible to have fun with, with uh, a little bit of losing. Now, are you ready? Nope. We'll nope. do it anyway. All right, we'll play the theme. Don't the Oh, that's a bad guy. You don't want to fool with him. <laughs> and somehow I fool with you every week. Uh, okay. So, let's first talk about Ted Williams. Ted Williams. Uh, okay. This is why I, 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 I think I accepted the question, why it has a soft spot. But Ted Williams is one of my favorite players ever. And I think he's the greatest hitter who ever lived. Not the greatest baseball player, but certainly the greatest hitter. Do you know what Ted Williams' career on base percentage was? Oh, it was somewhere like 470 or 480 or something like that. 482. That's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) So this is his entire career he spent getting on base almost 50% of the time. Before people thought a walk was worth anything. Now, since Ted Williams retired, there have been four players who have managed a single season, or in some cases multiple seasons, where they had an on-base percentage better than Ted Williams' career on-base percentage. That's how good. Four players have done that. Only four players have ever had as much as one season. So here is the question. Now, one of those players is tangentially Jays related. Okay. Can you name the four players who've had had a single season or more than one with an OBP over 482? Sorry. So what, what am I supposed to be doing here? Naming four players. I'm supposed to name all of them. Okay. Yep. Okay. So Barry Bonds is the obvious one. Yes. Uh, and this is since Ted Williams retired? Since Ted Williams retired. Now, this question, by the way, is from Andrew Rushper uh, at a Rushpler. Okay. <laughs> Just, I, I, I didn't tell anybody that, and I feel like people who go through the trouble to submit a question should get a shout out. So, yes, you have Barry Bonds, who very obviously had multiple seasons where he exceeded the uh, the 482 requirement yeah i think he did it like four times in a row or something like that yeah but uh okay so i think norm cash did it that was the one i thought you would think was tough norm cash did it in 1961 that's correct 
Okay. What was the, is there a, a plate appearance minimum in this? Cause I know Mark McGuire did it, but he did it in like 300 plate appearances. No, something. it's qualified batters. Oh, okay. Hmm. No, I, I can't think of any of the other ones right now. They were over 482. So, so there's one who was a blue Jay. Okay. He didn't do it as a blue Jay. Obviously we'd be talking about that like crazy. Hmm. Can you give me a better hint than that? So he is a recent inductee <clears throat> into the Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. And you fact checked this, right? I'm looking at it right now. You're yeah, I guess I'll, I'll need it because I don't have any idea who this could be. He did it in 1994. 1994 it would be Tony Gwynn? No. But he has no, no Blue Jays connection. Nope. Hmm. You may have just been stumped, Josh. On I the Blue so. Jay player, ironically. <laughs> Frank Thomas had an OBP of 487 in 1994. Oh, yes. I don't think of him as having a Blue Jays connection. That's so funny. <laughs> <clears throat> Now, number four was also uh, a guy who had a very good year in 1961 um, and was a Yankee. Was it Mickey Mantle or Roger yes. Maris? Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle actually yeah. had the OBP, though, in 1962. So congratulations. Yeah. Uh, yep, I got stumped. Andrew, you have Of course, it's not really Josh. a Blue Jays question, which is kind of the point. <laughs> you know, like, I don't... I'm not... <laughs> Yeah, but my, you also my didn't somehow remember that... relates more towards the Blue Jays than to non the, to, to baseball in general. Although I do have some command of that, and you know, I got you got Norm Cash. Who... <laughs> I was just like, what? So uh, I, yeah, yeah. I was reading about Norm Cash recently, so that's why, <laughs> that's why I knew that one. But yeah. Well, folks, you can make so, it. It's, uh... a, it's a it's a stump, but it's you know. It, it, it is what it is. I understand your your frustration with that, but uh, I appreciate all the questions. So, again... This was like when uh, when Jay Jaffe was like asking me, like, who was the player selected in the Rule 5? I'm like, well, that's not Blue Jays. Um, I am happy, though, to consider all kinds of questions. I have a couple uh, from, uh, from one of our regular listeners, uh, which I actually think might be too easy. But uh, certainly... Uh, tweet at me i will add you and then you can uh, you can direct message me and uh, let me know what you have for josh again about a blue jays player or a blue jays statistic and uh and we'd be happy to take your questions and uh, delve into a little bit of blue jays history now i turn to you sir for a final thought okay so <laughs> this is kind of a goofy thing recently we've been talking about obviously how futile the blue, the blue jays play has been now, one thing that's not been at least the case is that when they've had these dominant starts, they've been losing. Jacob deGrom just completed his fifth straight start, allowing two or fewer earned runs in seven innings or more in which his team lost. It's brutal. Randy Johnson's the only other player since expansion to have done that. They've messed up all over the place. Yep. <laughs> Um, All-Star Battling was released this week, the first round of votes, and um, the Blue Jays have 
no players in the top five of any of the position player categories. So in case you thought the Blue Jays were doing all right, which I don't think, if you listen to this, you uh, you really thought. Um, other than the rather tongue-in-cheek Luke Mele mail-in vote, I don't know that I would put any of the Blue Jays position players in the top five either, and that might speak to what's really going on with this team. I can't see an argument for any single one of them. <laughs> that's... that's <laughs> Not good. So uh, if J-Hap doesn't get traded before the All-Star break, I think he's the Blue Jays' lone representative at this point, isn't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if there's one team where there's a no-brainer All-Star selection, it's the Blue Jays with J-Hap. <laughs> and just for the record, when we're talking about this Blue Jays' no-brainer All-Star, this isn't a guy who's going out there with, you know, was you know, like a starting pitcher with an ERA of 2.5, as you see across, you know, Justin Verlander is like one and a half. J-Hap's ERA is 3.48, which is good, but it's not, <laughs> not amazing. Yeah, and that's after two starts of not allowing any earned runs. Yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, it's, it's going that way, folks. Hopefully uh, we have egg on our face by the end of a podcast two weeks from now and we're talking about what the Jays should buy at the deadline. I hope for that. I sincerely do. Oh, which is to say that you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010 and this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 105 and we'll talk at you next week. Mm-hmm.